Good morning. How's everybody doing? You know, I have not been on campus since I left. And I swore I'd never come back in the winter. Because the Lord knew what he was doing when he called me to the Middle East. I am a sunshine girl. It's like 86 degrees in Cairo. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to go back. (laughs) I... um, I loved my time here. I'm so thankful for North Central. In a lot of ways, it shaped me into being the missionary that I am now. And for all of you balcony dwellers, my spot was up there, so there is hope for you. All right? I know you're a little bit further away from the holy place here, but it's okay. You're good. <laughs> Well, you know what? I, I'm a missionary. I love missions. I love teaching about missions. I love talking about missions. I'm very passionate about it. So for the next few minutes, that's what we're going to talk about. All right? And I do have 10 points, but don't worry. It's going to be fast. So you just, you're in for a ride. All right. So missions, you know, missions has always been central to the Assemblies of God. Now, you know you're in an Assemblies of God school, correct? Everybody nod your heads. You're with me? We're a part of the AG. Well, you should be proud of that. And the second general council that was held in Chicago in November of 1914 resolved to achieve the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen. And within the first year of its existence, approximately 30 missionaries gained membership in the general council. Two of those missionaries actually went to Cairo to plant what is now the National Assemblies of God of Egypt. And now we're a little over 100 years later, and we have approximately 3,000 Assemblies of God missionaries serving in 256 different nations around the world. And this has resulted in the largest Pentecostal missions movement in the world. This is our legacy. We are a group of like-minded people who have declared that the world must learn the truth of Jesus, and we must participate in that endeavor. In 1792, William Carey, he's known as the father of modern missions. He was blazing the trail and going to India as a missionary. But before, before he left, he went to all of his pastor friends and, and he told them that he saw his mission in India like going into a deep, dark mine. A mine that had never been excavated. There was no light. There was no guide. And he told each of his pastor friends that he would go down if they would hold the ropes. And he then asked each of his pastor friends to make an oath that as long as they lived, they would stand at the mouth of the pit and never let go of the rope. I stand before you now as one of the 3,000 Assemblies of God missionaries who have chosen to put the ropes of support in your hands. Because in the words of John Piper, we are all goers, or we are senders, or we are disobedient to the command of God. That is your only choice. You are a goer, you are a sender, or you are disobedient. And so this morning, 
I'm going to give you 10 biblical convictions that drive our commitment to world missions within the assemblies of God. And as I give you these, I pray that they burn in your souls for some of you as a God-given compulsion to go and for others of you as a God-given compulsion to send. Number one, God is passionately committed to the fame of his name and that he be worshipped by all the peoples of the world. This isn't egomania. This is love. Missions is joining God in his passion to love the nations by offering himself to them for the overflowing joy of their praise. Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. Isaiah 12.4, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Romans 15.9, God sends Jesus on his mission in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Romans 9.17, he does his mighty works in history that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Number two, therefore, worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Think of it when we're in the throne room of God, standing before him, singing with the angels. Will there be a need for missionaries? No, I am working myself out of a job, and I'm really, really excited about that. (laughs) Missions is our way of saying that the joy of knowing Christ is not a private or tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It is for everyone, and that is why we go. We have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus, and we want all families on earth included. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven: all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Now, my friends, seeking the worship of the nations is fueled by the joy of our own worship, because you can't proclaim what you don't prize. And you can't commend what you don't cherish. Worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. Number three, people must be told about Jesus because there is no salvation and therefore no worship where the gospel of the crucified and risen son of God is not heard and believed. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10.17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 1 John 5.12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Matthew 28.19, go therefore and make disciples. There will be no salvation and therefore no true worship among people who have not heard the gospel. Missions is essential for salvation. Number four, God is committed to gathering worshipers from all the peoples of the world, not just all the countries of the world. Our geopolitical boundaries are arbitrary in the kingdom of God. This is what all nations means in the Great Commission. Nations like the Alawites, the Nubians, and the Chechens, not geopolitical boundaries like the United States or Argentina or Egypt. This is what Jesus bought with his blood. Revelation 5, 9, and 10, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. 
Now, what you may not realize is that in some form or fashion, the gospel has reached every nation on planet Earth. In some nations, like Saudi Arabia, that would be among the expatriate community, the foreigner community, where they have international churches and things like that. But the gospel is there. In fact, we have more Assemblies of God missionaries in more countries than the United Nations. However, there are still over 7,000 unreached people groups around this world. Do you know what our bar is for an unreached people group? 2%. of the people being evangelical. That's our bar. And even with a bar that low, 7,000 people groups around this world do not have adequate witness of the gospel. Some of them, no witness at all. Of the 7,000, approximately 400 unreached people groups reside in the Arab world where I live. This is why the Assemblies of God World Mission says that we exist so that all can hear the hope of the gospel. Our commitment extends to all peoples in all nations. Number five, therefore, there is a critical need for Paul-type missionaries whose calling and passion is to take the gospel to peoples where there is no access to the gospel at all. Now, I'm distinguishing between Paul-type missionaries and Timothy-type missionaries. Both are needed within the kingdom of God. Timothy left his home in Lystra and he served cross-culturally in Ephesus. But Paul, in Romans 15, 20, he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. And there is still so much work to do where Christ has not yet been named. And we need to pray for an army of hundreds of thousands with Paul's passion to reach the utterly unreached with the gospel of Jesus. Number six, we must send missionaries in a manner worthy of God. This is why we have a missions department in the Assemblies of God. 3 John 1.6 says, You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. This is why senders are crucial along with the goers. We need each other. It's a symbiotic relationship. It's the way the Lord has designed his body to work. I can't go unless someone sends me. And senders can't send if there's no one to go. We need each other. We don't believe that everyone's a frontier missionary. Frontier missionaries cross cultures and plant the church where it isn't. It's what we do with Live Dead. But if you are not a goer, there is a great calling as a sender. And as John says, do it in a manner worthy of God. Now, it's not my job to tell you what sending means. It is your job to ask the Holy Spirit what your role is as a sender. Is it giving? Is it praying? Is it empowering? The point is to joyfully and wholeheartedly obey the leading of the Holy Spirit and seeing the kingdom expanded around the world. What is the Lord asking you to do for the nations right now? You know, there was a day, this was before I was married, I was single on the field, and um, it was a Sunday morning. 
and I was going to go to church where I was helping uh, the above ground church with uh, their worship program. My alarm went off. I woke up. I couldn't move. I was glued to my bed. And time kept going, and I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, what, what is going on? This is bizarre. I, didn't, I wasn't in pain. There was nothing wrong with me. I just I could not move. Time continued, time continued. Finally, I was able to move my, my hand enough to reach my cell phone that was, that was on my bedside table. And I texted my friend, uh, my Arab friend, to say, you know, I wasn't going to be able to make it because, you know, the time had passed. Because in order for me to get to where I was going, I was, I mean, it took about an hour to, to, to get to the Christian part of town. And um, so I'm still laying there and I'm still laying there. And finally, I was able to just sit up and I was fine. What I didn't know was that day, a group of terrorists um, who were very upset with some Western nations had decided to burn down some embassies and every foreigner that they saw, they kidnapped and a variety of things happened and um, a lot of diplomats were, were hurt that day. And had I gone to, to church, that was the place where I would have needed to change buses at the moment that was happening. What I also didn't know until I opened my email later was that there were two very sweet, wonderful ladies in my home church who uh, the Lord had impressed upon them to pray for me. Because Lord knows I am stubborn and a little bit tenacious and it takes the hand of God holding me on the bed, literally for me not to go and do what I think I need to be doing. Those prayers saved my life that day. So when the Lord asks you to pray for someone, I am begging you, pray for them. You have no idea what your prayers mean. And you may never know this side of heaven. Number seven, it is fitting for us to have a wartime mindset and the use of our resources as long as peoples are without the gospel and we have the resources to send it. Now in peacetime, there was this luxury liner called the Queen Mary. Think Titanic only without sinking. And uh, I mean, a beautiful, posh, you know, cruise ship. But during the Second World War, the Queen Mary became a troop carrier. And instead of bunks being stacked three high, they stacked them seven high. Instead of an 18-piece place setting, they had rations and a fork and a knife. You allocate your resources differently when it is wartime. And my friends, it is wartime. The battles are more constant than any in our world wars, and the losses are eternal. The Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8.2 are a model for us in the face of great need where it says in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part and that, oh, that we would deepen our grasp of the urgency of the hour and remember that ultimately we don't own anything. The Lord owns us and all that we have. And he cares about how it is going in the war effort to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus that so many have died to send. Number eight, 
Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom. John 15, 16, Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. There's a partnership between bearing fruit and prayer. One of the purposes of prayer is for mission. For those of us on the front lines of the war effort to call into headquarters to send help and at times our prayers malfunction because we treat it like a domestic intercom. Calling for the butler, asking for another pillow in the den or for more ice in our glasses. Rather than calling down the power of the Holy Spirit in the battle of souls. Number nine, suffering is not only the price for being in missions, it is God's plan for getting the job done. Matthew 10, 25, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of this household? Matthew 24, 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Matthew 10, 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. This is not the price that some must pay. This is God's strategy for victory. Think of the cross, the place of ultimate suffering, and yet the place of eternal victory. Jesus won the victory through the cross and through his suffering. And in the same way, when we partner with him, we will win the victory for Christ. Revelation 12, 11 says, They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. They conquered by their testimony and their death. I have a friend beautiful believer in Jesus. When she came to faith, her family was a little less than enthusiastic about her decision. And so they they persecuted her quite mercilessly, saying that it would stop if she would convert back. And she quoted Corinthians where it says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Some friends of ours who are believers, Arab believers from a Christian background, have caught the vision of seeing their Muslim brothers and sisters, their Muslim neighbors, of seeing them come to faith. And so they have begun to work to that endeavor. And as Adam and I were talking with them not long ago about their efforts and about baptizing Muslims into the faith of Jesus, they looked at us and said, now we know that best case scenario, if we are discovered for what we're doing, we and all of our families will go to prison. And yet they joyfully and wholeheartedly share the gospel because they know that Jesus is worth it. Suffering is not only the price for being in missions, it is God's plan for getting the job done.
Number 10, the global cause of Christ cannot fail. And nothing that we do in this cause is in vain. Jesus said in Matthew 20 and 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. Not some authority, all authority. He cannot be defeated. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. He has ransomed a people for all the nations, and he will have them. And so, my friends, with knowledge comes responsibility. You are responsible for what you learned today. So the question now is, what is the Lord asking you to do so the nations have the opportunity to hear about Jesus and worship him. Because when you accepted the call to follow Jesus, you accepted the call to missions. You cannot have Jesus without being called to missions in some form or fashion. So are you going to go? Are you going to send Or are you going to disobey the command of God? For some of you, as you've been listening, these 10 convictions have become a confirmation that God is leading you into long-term cross-cultural missions. I'm not asking you to be absolutely sure. Lord knows when I was sitting in your seat, I had no idea that almost 20 years later I'd be standing right here. What I am asking is that as far as you can discern, this is God's leading for you and you will follow it unless he makes it plain otherwise. If you have this compelling sense that God is leading you into long-term cross-cultural missions, I invite you to come and stand at the front as the worship team comes. And come to testify to this wonderful work of God in your life. Because I gotta tell you, missions, it's tough. I'm not gonna lie, it is hard. But it is so beautiful. It is so unbelievably beautiful to see and watch someone as they discover who Jesus is for the first time. Now for others of you, the Lord is calling you to send which is as noble of a calling as going. Do not be misled. It is not a lesser calling, it is an equal calling. You will provide the funds and the prayers that keep people like Adam and I on the front line. We simply couldn't do what we do without you. And we thank you. But the question remains, what is the Lord asking you to do so the nations have the opportunity to hear about Jesus and worship him? And so I invite those of you who have been called to send to the front to seek the Lord's direction for sending the gospel of Jesus to the uttermost regions of the world. And so I'm going to pray. And as I do... You are well, that's, that's going to be our closing. And we're going to leave these altars open. 
so the Lord can speak. He can speak to those of you he has called to go. And he can speak to those of you he has called to send. Jesus, you are so worthy. You are worthy. You are glorious. You are mighty. There is none other like you in heaven and on earth. And Lord, you desire the praises of the nations. And so, Lord, I pray for these students. I pray for my young friends who are embarking on a life of full-time call, calling to missions. God, I do not pray for an easy path. I pray for those tests of faith that will strengthen them. God, that will lead them into those, those places where they can stand firm in you. God, I pray that you would speak clearly. That you would open their eyes to see the nations as you see them. Lord, I pray for your church, the ones you have called to send. God, I pray that you would birth within them just as much of a passion for missions as those who have been called to go. God, I pray that they would desperately pray for the nations. God, that they would call down the power of the Holy Spirit. That they would give sacrificially knowing that their dollars go towards seeing the unreached reached. Lord, I pray that you would give them creative ways of sending. But God, most of all, I pray... I pray that you are glorified in each of us. Because, Lord, it's all about you. You and you alone. Lord, forgive us for those times when we have been disobedient. Lord, give us a passion. A passion for you and you alone. 